Welcome to Zen One Podcast, a place where we can feel a little bit more connected with one another. Tim? Yes? I can hear you now. Yahoo! How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Happy Monday. Thank you. Well, Tim, I got to tell you, after last webinar, we've got so many positive, I mean, so I had so much positive feedback from what you brought and what you covered. And it was a, such a like uh, honor to be able to bring you back and make sure that, you know, people have a chance to ask you more questions. And so we're happy to have you back. Well, thanks. It's nice to be back. You know, my hair's a little longer. My, my hairdresser's not available. And I hope the gray, the gray hair color works. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, that's, uh, you know, we will talk today. It looks like not much has changed since the last time we talked, right? <laughs> oh, my God. What a world we live in. Well, uh, how you've been just in general? Like, how, how's the business? How has it for you been? Wonderful. Yeah, we're real busy. Uh, we're all, of course, sheltered at home doing telework, but I came in for this. And so yeah, all, all's good. Just busy. Really trying, to, trying to just keep up with all the shifting and changing and all that's going on. Interesting. Tim, just briefly from your perspective, working with Dennis, what is, what ha what's like one positive thing that you have seen so far that blew your mind? Well, the most positive part is when we're engaging with a lot of our clients who really are taking a position of how can I best support my employees? You know, there I think I commented in the last one that there's some number of, of dentists who we were hearing and all they wanted to do was just lay everyone off and all they did, they did just didn't care about what was going to happen to some degree with their employees. And yet when I'm engaging with our clients and, and dentists who are saying, what can I do to support my team? How can we all get through this together? Uh, I think that's really heartening and, and very positive. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. I think the, the positivity is, is, is getting much louder now. So yeah. uh, I'm so happy to see that too. Um, well, let's dive in. What, okay. what, what, changes have you seen so far so we talked the first time i think it was uh late march we were all expecting the ppp now it happened and the team members some people were sending people home now people are back and all that so what are the changes have you seen so far that impacted dental practices well let, let's go back and do a little more of a in-depth review and so out of the cares act of course became the big provision for PPP loans, as well as the provision for this additional $600 on unemployment. And, and that was causing all kinds of sort of challenges in trying to figure that out. And, and so, so let's just put in perspective things with the original legislation, which is commonly referred to as FFCRA for the Families First Coronavirus Relief Act. And the, the bad news with it is it's going to go through until December 31st. And so this isn't something where you just go, oh, that just happened then. And now that I'm reopened, I don't have to worry about it or whatever. That's not true. 
So bad news is <laughs> it goes until September 31st. Um, there are really no exemptions for September dental practitioners. So it's like, don't go down some path just thinking and assuming that you're exempt. There are some exempt provisions, granted, and those aren't for the business or the practice as a whole. Those exemptions, when you get it, so to speak, are on a case-by-case -case basis, employee-by-employee -employee basis. And so you don't just get to do some blanket exemption at all. So that, that's sort of the, the bad news associated with it. The good news with the FFCRA is it only goes until December 31st. So yeah. you only have still this window that it, it's, it's out there. Um, it will create some challenges because, as we all know, all of these efforts have been about flattening the curve, not so much getting rid of coronavirus. So it's going to be around. And come this fall, we just have to anticipate that as schools get back in session, things like that, that there could be some other outbreaks. And then the sick leave provisions, the family leave provisions, if schools get closed, if childcare facilities get closed, are all going to rear their head again. So we, we just have to know that we got this window till December 31st. The other part of the good news, which I know I touched on before, is the government reimburses any payments for this. So <laughs> adhering to or complying to with the FFCRA uh, isn't really gonna cost any money because you get reimbursed for it. So, so that's a little bit on that just as a, a, a quick recap. Now, relative to CARES Act, yes, there's a the big unemployment piece, the $600. It created this conundrum. Let's do a quick review on unemployment. So every state does all their calculations with unemployment. Regardless of how a state does it, in general, what an employee receives who is eligible for unemployment is they receive unemployment benefits each week that amount to about half of what they were otherwise making. So let's just say we have an employee who makes $2,400 a month. Well, divide that by four. So this person makes $600 a week. Depending upon the state, the calculation will yield an unemployment benefit for this person of around $300 because $300 is about half of the $600 per week. Now, that being said, it's not just that straight calculation because every state has a cap that they put on what the unemployment benefits are gonna be in that state. For example, Florida's cap is $275. And so in the, in the example I just gave, even if the calculation would say this person would be eligible for 300 in Florida, the most they can get is 275. Arizona's mm -hmm. even lower. State of Arizona is $240 a week is where they cap it. Now there are some states that are clearly a lot higher one of the highest is Massachusetts, and it's up over a little $800 a week. So that means this calculation, which would come out to be 300, this person in Massachusetts would get their 300. It just says that there's this cap, which is just much higher. So every state's game comes into play. Now, we know that there was a $600 
that was added to unemployment. Some people were going, oh, well, everyone doesn't get that, or who gets it, or when does someone get that? Well, the Department of Labor clarified that just a few weeks ago, and in their clarification, they said, if a person is eligible for just $1 of unemployment in a week, they get the 600. They get the full 600. So mm -hmm. back to our example, and let's say Florida, so the calculation was this person would otherwise get 300, Florida caps it at 275, then Florida is going to add the 600 to the 275, and so this person would be receiving $875 for their weekly benefit. Now, clearly that's higher than what they would have been making had they been at their regular job and the $2,400 a month and so on. What employers can do, and still if you're you know, doing a phased reopening or if there's still some shelter in place kinds of things, an employer can look at this and say, well, how much can I have this person work for me where their compensation doesn't knock them out of getting the 600 bucks? And so mm -hmm. let's, let's take this Florida example and the person's getting this 275. Well, this person could, let, let's say I pay them $20 an hour. This person could work 10 hours at $20 an hour, get $200. The 200 would come off of their 275. So they're going to get 75 from unemployment. They're going to get 200 from me. And because their unemployment is still over a dollar, it's 75, then they're gonna get the 600. So it's almost like a win all the way around where I get to support people still having or qualifying for the 600, but I still have opportunity to employ them and make some progress and get some things done. The other part about the unemployment is just know that this $600 magic little kicker ends July 31st. <clears throat> so at that point, um, then the whole thing goes back to sort of the old way. And mm -hmm. in my example, that means this person's unemployment drops to 275. It would clearly be in that person's advantage to then be working because they're going to be making significantly more money working than what they would get on unemployment. So it does become a little bit of a a strategy, if you will, but then also a way of supporting team members and the practice. And quite frankly, you could also look at this as a little bit of a qualification, because if I do give this person an opportunity to work 10 hours for me, and the person says, no, I think I'm just going to sit at home and do nothing and collect my 875, well, maybe there's some messaging in there that this isn't the right person for you. Exactly. Exactly. So just looking at the math, uh, like you said, if the person, if we bring the person back 10 hours, that was per week, right? Yeah. Okay. So two hours, I mean, 10 hours per week, that's 20 hours. And again, that's, that's an interesting conversation because I think back to what we discussed last time, are the offices going to go back from red to, uh, red to green or red to yellow? Everybody agrees it's going to be yellow. So we don't know sure. that what that yellow is going to look like. So that gives offices a perfect opportunity to increase the hours as needed 
ensuring that the person still can get the $600 unemployment from uh, their state, but that's funded by the federal. Yeah, totally. Okay. This is interesting. Um, Why do you think there's so much misconception about this concept out there? Because I talked to a few offices, not Zen members, that just didn't want to bring anybody back, even do a remote training on our inventory platform that they were worried that these people may not get unemployment and things like that. So like they were worrying, even if they work an hour or two a week currently, they will not be qualified for unemployment. So I'm just curious where that's coming from. Well, I I think the bottom line to that is it's just the misunderstanding and misconceptions that people have about unemployment and how unemployment works. Okay. You, You can get full benefits. You can get partial benefits. Yes, they're capped. And partial benefits is just this little calculation that says, okay, well, you worked so many hours, you were eligible for this much, we'll subtract that off, but you still get unemployment and you get your compensation. So I I think it's just the the misconceptions and the misunderstandings that exist. Yeah. And I think it's going back to even the, the deeper conversation that you and I had last time is now it's the time to get educated. Totally. Right. As a business owner for dentists and office managers out there, this is a perfect timing to get educated on things like that, because now more than ever, those little things will make a lot more sense right. on how the teams get compensated and things like that. So that you, you have that advantage. Um, so the team members are going back hypothetically. Uh, I don't know, depending on when the states are going to be opening and all that. We don't know the phases. I think the governors are planning to. By the way, what's your take on it, if you don't mind, on on the on the phases and how it, people are expecting to be reopened? Well, first of all, like you said, it varies from state to state. Some states are saying absolutely no reopenings until mid-June. Others are saying, OK, maybe May 1st. So it is truly on a state by state basis. Now, one of the things you also alluded to was this idea of how many moving parts there are to this, because I've got to wrestle with or take into account the state and local mandates. I've got to take into account the new revised guidelines and protocols from CDC, from OSHA, from potentially the ADA. I've got to take into account Do I even have enough N95 masks? Do I have enough gloves? Um, What is going to, what what are things going to look like relative to negative pressure in operatory spaces or vacuum relative to aerosol and, and so on? So all that's a moving part. Then we have people who applied for and have gotten funded by their banks with a PPP loan. And of course, then there's this big obsession about PPP forgiveness. And we're hearing people just doing, in my humble opinion, some of the dumbest things just to get forgiveness. It's like like loony. And Mm -hmm. then we have all of the fear that exists on the part of the public about returning to the dental office and is it safe? There are concerns on the part of employees and team members coming back, and is it safe? And we still may have some schools and childcare facilities closed. So there mm-hmm. are just a massive number of moving parts in this, and every situation has to be taken almost like individually as this strategic, almost like chess move 
to say, okay, I can do this, but I can't do this, but here's when I can do this. And so I'll plan for it and, and so on. And I think that's a, that's another really, really interesting point is for a person in their late 20s, early 30s, and I'm looking at the team members primarily, how would you assess all this? How would you know if you call them the chess moves, how would you assess each chess move? Because, you know, maybe you worried about making a wrong mistake or not. Like, how would you look at it? Well, first of all, if, if I'm looking strictly at employees, again, I have to go what sort of state and or local mandates are in place relative to schools and childcare. It's going to be really tough right now for a team member to come back to work if schools are closed, if there's some requirements or expectations about homeschooling. In addition to that, the childcare um, opportunities just don't exist. And we've got unemployment and we've got unemployment with the $600. Now, let me go back just for a second about the 600 buck thing, because a lot of dentists got all worked up about it. There's a couple of other things that come into play, which I think shed a little bit different light on this $600. And one is, as we all know, there's typically a waiting period of one to two weeks for someone to even get unemployment from when they apply. Yes, some states waived it, but there's still typically a waiting period. There is also a processing period, and the processing period can be one to three weeks, and this is one that is taking a long time. So what it conceivably could mean is from the date of layoff or furlough, a team member received no money for two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Well, you factor in, well, now they're getting their unemployment with this $600, and yet it ends July 31st. If you do that calculation, it's almost like the employee still didn't even come up whole because this had to like make up for exactly anywhere from two to four weeks with no income at all. So it's not like employees are getting some big financial windfall. It's more like this just helps them get whole and stay financially solvent hopefully, as they work their way through this. Yeah. And so that's a really good point because I do feel like there's a little bit of that tension going on on like, okay, that's a $600 multiplied by four, that's $2,400 without the, even the state putting any money into it. It's a lot of money, but you're absolutely right. There might be a time that somebody may not get paid for three to four weeks. And maybe that's another opportunity for employer to step in and, and, sort of speak like kind of help in that four week period of I don't know how I don't know what's legal what's illegal in that sense with unemployment but find a way to help the team member I don't know the, the gift cards or whatever that might be right right so like there's a way because at the end of the day like we're we're in this together and uh you know these are the team members and back to that same uh point like you know let's just take Susan as an example I don't know in the 30s battling all these different chess moves so besides the the close the states the the schools the kindergarten right. facilities what are the other things that that uh, the person would need to look into well i think i think a lot of team members especially hygienists and dental assistants are going to be a little more concerned about their own safety 
and have some fear issues about likelihood of contracting COVID-19. And so then as an employer, it's like, I have to do everything I can possibly do to ensure a really safe and healthy workspace and workplace. And Mm -hmm. it's everything from sanitizers. It's everything from wiping down surfaces. It's uh, this idea of uh, how patients are uh, moved about in the practice to support degrees of social distancing and, and so on. It's everything I can do to create a safe and healthy workspace so people can feel confident and comfortable and not nervous about coming to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, especially the team. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. So some offices are talking about May 1st opening potential, uh-huh. right? I heard that um, we talked to some of our clients. Some offices are ready to go, I think, next week. Uh, what do you think, like, what are the, from legal standpoint or just the business standpoint or just the moral as a leadership standpoint, what are the things that offices need to look at to bring the team back and start, quote unquote, reopening? Well, there there also has to be a little bit of um, lead time before, uh, maybe a week or so, that, that if I'm going to open, and May 1st is probably not the greatest example because we're right now already at April 20th, but it would be a thing that I pick a date that I feel very confident that mandates are clear I'm going to have the supplies in the inventory to be able to ensure a safe workspace and work environment. And then there's got to be about a week or two prior to that, that if I'm the employer, myself and my team, we're meeting and we're going over standard operating procedures of what the new normal is going to be and how we're going to move patients throughout their appointment time, even if it's down to, we don't want people waiting in the reception area and people text or people call when they pull into the parking lot and then we're going to text back to them when it's time and when they walk in, they they are walked directly back to the operatory. So we don't have you know, the, a congestion either at the front desk or we don't have multiple people hanging out in the reception area, especially if it's not big enough to support the idea of social distancing. It can be removing chairs so that we ensure that there is social distancing because there's only so many seats and room between them. But there's a fair amount of training and planning and reviewing of standard operating procedures and even the development of some new standard operating procedures and protocols that are going to be necessary. So I don't think um, a person can go, well, we closed on March 27th and we're gonna open on May 1st and we're not gonna do or have done anything in between and we're just gonna show up on May 1st and like pick up exactly where we left off there's too much where you've got to think through process, procedure, and protocol. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I think where that's where that homework is going to play out a big role. That before yeah. you open, there are so many live webinars and recorded webinars and checklists and all that that's going to be available. So I think if you if you are in a business owner position or office manager. I mean, even the team members, I mean, just help out your office, try to find all that information that's available out there, all this checklist and things that we're going to talk about, um, even on our webinars. On Wednesday, we're going to have Mary again uh, to talk oh, about, nice. you know, just reopening a simple, we get plenty of questions. If I wear N95, can I wear level three mask on top of it, dispose that every for every patient, but keep N95. So all these things I'm really hoping to get um, answered with Mary on Wednesday. Awesome. Let's see what questions we have so far. Um, if they work the 10 hours during that week, is the office paying them for 10, uh, I assume, hours? Then it is subtracted to receive the leftover amount to be paid by the state. I'm just trying to understand. Yes, that's true. Mm -hmm. So so if this person was otherwise eligible for $275 in unemployment for that week, and this person worked 10 hours at $20 an hour, which means I compensated this person $200, then 200 is subtracted from the 275. They get 75 from unemployment, they got 200 from me, they still got 275, which is what they would have otherwise gotten. So yeah, it's just a dollar for dollar subtraction. Mm -hmm. Okay, any other questions, please submit. Thank you so much and thanks for joining. Uh, we're also gonna have, um... Uh, that's great. Thank you for coming. Of course. Um, so yeah, we have more people joining, so we're going to give everyone a chance to just ask questions. Um, let me throw in, if I may, of um, course. just touch on this PPP loan and sort of this obsession focus thing on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. So I, I get the rationale of saying, Hey, here's this money. I want to get this money. And it's awesome because it can be forgiven and therefore I don't have to pay it back. Please understand, everyone, that there are specific provisions that must be met for the loan proceeds to be eligible for forgiveness. The one that is the one I believe that is likely to trip up almost everyone is that your headcount or your staffing level on June 30th has to be the same as it was on February 15th. It's not a percentage thing. This one is if you had the equivalent of seven people working for you, full-time equivalents on February 15th, then you have to have seven on June 30th. And Tiger, when you were just talking about this idea of a phased opening because we're sort of yellow lighting this along, now is someone just going to rush out and hire a bunch of people or bring everyone back and pay them when there's no business at all that supports that staffing level just to have PPP loan forgiveness? I, I it just... Some of the things that we're hearing people contemplate doing just to get loan forgiveness is it, crazy. When you look at it, you, you sort of flip this. The worst case is they loaned me money. I didn't spend it. 
the money is loaned to me at 1% interest and I can pay it off over two years. Cash right now is king for all businesses. And if this just represents money that provides a little bit of breathing room and sits in the bank, and then I just pay it back at 1%. And, and the really crazy thing is, for some dentists who are running around going nuts about forgiveness with that, they have credit cards that have debt on them and have had debt on them for a long time. And that's at 15 or 20%. It's like, come on. I mean, if you want to get really loony, then I'd take PPP money and I'd pay off my credit card and and have have a cheaper deal. And even though it's not eligible for loan forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Anyway, thank you for letting me be on my soapbox there for just a minute. Yeah. I think I'm going to keep my immigrant opinion about that to myself too, because when I hear people complain about a 1% loan, it's, it's to me, it's like, um, it's probably the same people that complain about the raw milk in their coffee at Starbucks. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Um, I think we have bigger problems to deal with. So, which is bringing the team back, making sure everybody is, is feeling safe. I do hear a lot about, the te- like the number one concern of anybody who is planning to reopen in, in, in the next two to three weeks should be the safety of the team. Totally. I think that by far, if the team feels safe, then they will make sure that the patients feel safe. If totally. we're going to try to focus on patients now without really worrying and caring about the team members, I think we could, we're just going to tremendously put an office at the disadvantage. So that just, again, that's my take on it. Uh, just to clarify on that June 30th, though, very quickly, that means on February 15th, they had seven people. Then for whatever reason with the coronavirus, they had to let people go on unemployment. And by June 30th, they brought the seven people back. That's what qualifies it, right? Yeah, it doesn't have to be the exact same people. It just has yeah. to be that the staffing level has to be the same. Correct. Okay, cool. Awesome. But at the same time, I do agree with you. Cash is kink at the moment. So as you, let me just see if there are no more questions. Uh, which loan is that? PPE. Uh, yeah, I believe uh, I believe Tim was just uh, referring back to the PPE, the PPP loan, not PPE, the PPP loan. So the two terms are going to be mixed use, I think, all the time now. Uh, yeah, that was the PPP. What? Um, just very quick on this. Um, how many people that you know that actually got the PPP? Oh, there's quite a few, and there there are more and more. And in fact, as probably everyone knows, last night the Congress was saying we think we've almost made an agreement, and it could be finalized today, where they're going to be adding an additional 250 billion dollars to PPP loan opportunities. And so, for for people who didn't get in or didn't make the cut, so to speak, and they ran out of money. There's supposedly going to be an additional $250 billion available for PPP loans. Okay. That's awesome. All right. So any anything when when um when we're reopening, um anything from employment standpoint that you would recommend as far as like the paperwork, I, it, it might be something small, it might be a dumb question. Something like um, I don't know the the paperwork. Some uh, do you think any states will require like a test that people will have to go through and take the the what is it like COVID tests before they come back to workforce? Do you foresee anything like that? 
<clears throat> well, we, we anticipate that there could be some testing requirements. Obviously, nothing has been put out or solidified, but, but we assume there's going to be some kind of testing uh, mixed in all of this. Um, something crossed my mind when you first started saying that. Oh, about this idea of reopening and, and paperwork. So some of that, the answer to that question depends on how the ending of employment took place with the particular team member. If it was a furlough and you're now bringing the person back, typically there's no need for any paperwork because it was just like we pushed the pause button and now we're going to release the pause button and we pretty much from an employment standpoint pick up right where we left off. If the person was laid off, then layoffs typically land in one of two categories. Well, I could say it's a temporary layoff or it's a permanent layoff. If it's a temporary layoff, again, usually there's not any paperwork requirements for this person to come back. It's Again, it's more like we pick up right where we left off. If it was a permanent layoff or it was a termination, then that really ended the employment relationship. And bringing those people back is as if it's a new hire. And so at that point, there's new hire paperwork, there is the completing of the I-9 form, of the W-4 form for payroll, et cetera. Now, you may have some of those things still on file. You can confirm these with the team member. So it's easy to get to that part of having all of the paperwork complete. But if it was a permanent layoff or a termination, you have to look at it more like a new hire in bringing that person back. And some people may think it's kind of ironic that I'm saying, Okay, they were permanently laid off or terminated, and now I'm talking about bringing them back. But we have to remember that there are some number of team members who may choose to not come back. And so we may then look at some people who we had laid off permanently or terminated thinking we weren't going to need them. And we're kind of saying, okay, we rethought that, and maybe it makes sense for this person to come back. Provided, of course, that permanent layoff and termination was not done with the thinking that I don't ever want this person back. But there could be mm -hmm. circumstances, and in those, they just have to be looked at as a rehire. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Anything that if you would be the dentist and um, uh, you in this pandemic, you're planning to reopen, would be... Is there anything that you would look at differently now hiring people? Like, is there anything that you would change? Well, I, I think there are two avenues to go down with that. Um, first of all, I would look at my hiring practices and what I've done in the past. And here is, in this regard, almost like an opportunity to sort of recast my team. and where I have strengths and where I potentially have weaknesses and look to fill those gaps in and, and so on. So uh, then it's like, get clear on what I'm looking for, make sure I've got a job description that truly delineates the duties and the expectations, 
which means all job descriptions should be updated now because of a whole bunch of new requirements or expectations we might have of people. And then I do a better job of interviewing. When it comes to hiring, here's my one of my golden rules. And that is you hire for the things you cannot train. You hire for the things you cannot train. And the, the one area that so applies here is attitude. See, we, we can't teach attitude. We can mm-hmm. teach people how to take x-rays. We can teach people how to process an insurance claim form. We can teach people how to run the computer. We can't teach attitude. So we you hire for the things you cannot train or teach. And then it's like, okay, if someone comes with experience in these areas, that means we don't have to train them, then uh, that's more like extra credit. So you hire first for attitude and fit, and second for skills and experience. Most people do it backwards. They want to know how long you've been in dentistry and do you know how to run this particular practice management or so? And they do you have a pulse? And then we hire you. And we come to learn that there's just not a cultural fit with the type and kind of practice or who we are, what we are. And Tim, what if we flip the tables for the team members to do the same thing? Oh, totally. I think there's going to be lots of opportunities out there right now for team members to say, who are the employers in my town who I've always heard are really great employers? What about the practices that have the reputation that this is a great practice to work in? There's going to be opportunities. And so, yeah, I, I hear you. It, it, it's not just that employers are in some driver's seat. In fact, in many regards, it's the employees are in a little more of the driver's seat right now than they were even two and three months ago. Yeah, or until July 31st. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I also want to bring it a little bit to the center, too. Uh, we have both spectrums. We're looking at a dental owner perspective, then we're looking at a team member perspective who may not be happy with their um, employer. But I feel like there's also might be the middle where uh, for the team members listening, you, what Tim brought uh, this excellent point of the, uh, the the business owners will be rethinking the culture fit, what they want to do. A lot of uh, Facebook groups, and I haven't been to the, any of them, but I heard that the conversation is like, this is a perfect opportunity to build what you actually wanted to build. So given this opportunity to sit in quarantine between the kids and this and that, a lot of dentists are rethinking their strategy, their life goals, their, their, what they want to accomplish in life and is financial or, or clinical or what are the goals they have and, and how they can accomplish them. So I think it's, a, it's an also a good point for the team members to know what goes through the dentist and the business owner mind at the moment. And the second is how do you adjust? So maybe the things that you need before now it's the time to maybe go back to the, the, the dentist that owns the practice and say, look, maybe we should adjust our job description. Maybe moving forward, when we bring other dental assistants and a hygienist, these are the things that we need to include in those job description. And by the way, I can take the lead and reorganize those job descriptions and, and, and take that leadership role, like to take that uh, you know, ownership role a little bit on that, on that, um, uh, on that piece. 
Totally. I couldn't agree with you more. And then on the owner side, there's a whole bunch of questions that the, the, the dentist could be asking him or herself. And it could be questions like, well, what was I not prepared for with this? What, what was asked of me and I did not know what caught me by surprise and what was missing? So this is all these kinds of questions to then lead to what do I need to do better or be prepared for to confidently address and handle these kinds of situations the next time? Because mm -hmm. there's going to be some next time. What it is, we don't know for sure, obviously, but it's like use this as an opportunity for learning and growing to better be prepared for whatever comes down the road. And, and you were just, it was so great the way you put it with opportunities that exist for team members to kind of step into a place of, let's call it kind of ownership of a position and offer suggestions and offer ideas and offer ways to help better position the practice. And in so doing, that, that creates job security. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Um, let's see if there are any questions. That's so cool to have you. Uh, in regard to PTO, how should PTO and vacations be handled in the second half of the year? I gave everyone two weeks when we close on, on March 17th. If we give team members one to two weeks of the rest of the year, it would be difficult financially as well as for coverage. Well, first of all, I don't know what state this doctor is in. Second okay. of all, which state? I can mention, but I don't know. Like, uh, okay. Dr. let me know. I will let you well, answer that question. Well, mm -hmm. I don't know what state he's in. And so some states have some mandatory requirements relative to that. Number two, I don't know what his stated... PTO vacation policy is when he says he gave people two weeks, did that in a sense clear out things so that, you know, no one has any? So that if he comes into the second half, if he's going to be extending any PTO or vacation, is this going to be above and beyond what he otherwise would have done? So I, I would need to understand those things to then offer some ideas or some strategies about how to address this. Okay. So I think Dr. is uh, writing more. So far, it's Illinois. It was unclear at the time it happened so fast. Okay. So again, so I just want to know if is, is everyone's PTO and vacation sort of bank empty now and what would they otherwise have accrued in the second half of the year or did he in a sense almost pay ahead to such a degree that even if they accrue at whatever rate their normal accrue rate is they still wouldn't have any at at the end of the year so the, a lot of a lot of nuances with that and um, he can get my email and we can talk about this and go through his specific situation. I'd be more than happy to do that. Yeah. And I think it does make sense to stay a little bit on this because I hear, I see that a lot of uh, doctors jumping in with these questions similar to that. 
And uh, I would love to just uh, just work on it just for a little bit and, and get okay. everybody in a, a perspective to do that. Yeah, Dr. If you would like, let's write out more so I know that everyone else would like to hear that. If not, I'll just connect you and, and Tim over the email and you guys will be able to take it from there. And Tim, I really appreciate you offering that help. Um, so, Dr. I mean, Dr. How are you? I'm in California. Uh, is this a good time to think about going about the alternative work week so I can maybe get 10 hours a day from them? Yeah, so he's in California. California is the only state actually that has an overtime trigger of eight hours per day. And so they also have this provision called the alternative work schedule, which allows you to establish a different work day. And if you adhere to a lot of the provisions of it, then there would not be overtime. So in his example, it's a 10 hour day. Uh, just know that your, your question is, is this a good time to visit it? And I think, well, sure it is. You just have to understand there are seven very defined steps that you have to take to put an alternative work schedule into place. And one of these is there has to be a vote. It has to pass by a two-thirds majority. There's some postings you have to do. One of the biggest provisions of it is if you're saying you're going to go to 10-hour days, then you must work 10-hour days. Some people think that if I set a 10-hour day, but we only work nine, that we're still okay. And the state of California says, no, that's not okay. If you set it at 10 and you only work nine, you have to revert back to the eight-hour day and one hour of overtime. So yes, it's a great time to consider it. Just make sure that you absolutely understand the provisions and how important it is to get the daily work hours lined up with how you're really going to run your schedule moving forward. I hope that helps. And I'll keep my comments about California. <laughs> okay, and, and I see Dr. Is still typing. So maybe we'll get uh, some good discussions out of this. Uh, yeah, okay, cool. So if it does, that's good. Um, so anything else particular to any other states that jumps at you, Tim? Like just what uh, Dr. mentioned about this California? Well, as you know, California is the toughest state. Uh, second is New York. Uh, in general, it's the states that are on the East Coast and the West Coast that are the toughest. Uh, <clears throat> the one from Illinois, Illinois is pretty tough, too. And then there are a lot of states where things are a little bit easier. But it just every state has their own little nuances, and it's important to know them. And uh, you'd have to do a comparison and a contrast with the federal law and the state law and therefore determine which one you have to follow. A lot of times people erroneously think that if state law and federal law differ, they have to follow the feds because fed supersedes the state. And some people say, no, it's the other way around. You always follow the state. And neither of those answers is correct. Anytime federal law and state law differ, you have to follow the law that most favors the employee. So you not only have to know what they are, you have to do this compare and contrast and determine which one is most favorable to the employee. And that's the one that you have to follow. 
Yeah. And obviously, Tim, you help with that information, right? Yeah. People. Okay. So I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll on Zen webinar form after this is over, Irina will put all the comments and she will put Tim's email so that you guys can reach out and coordinate. If that's something that you guys would like to take moving forward, I think that would be, that would be really cool. Um, California has the population greater than Canada. We should be our own country, <laughs> probably. <laughs> this is funny. All right, uh, more information for Dr. Kicks. Uh, that same example from Illinois, Tim, if you remember. So yeah. what Dr. Kicks said, uh, at the time it was to help them get through two weeks. I didn't know how to classify it. Can I now say it cleared out, prepaid, what they had? And different people had different PTO based on experience. Um, again, I, I would just say in this case, I would want to have a more in-depth, specific conversation with him. I'd want to see what his policies were. I would want to see the employees, sort of what their their PTO and vacation bank account looks like now, what the accrual rate is. It, it's just, I, 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 first, I want to applaud him for doing what he did to financially support the team during that really difficult few week period where then I assume they were applying for unemployment, et cetera. So kudos to you for doing that. And it's like, yeah, then it's a matter of figuring out, okay, how do we structure this moving forward that it's still equitable and fair for the team members, but also is in the financial interests of the practice too. Yeah, and Dr. is awesome. I mean, I know him personally, that's where Zen Office is and he's got a huge team, I think like 45 people or something like that. So it's super, super incredible. Um, just like I said, all of our Zen people are like that. So when we make comments, I always have to say that's outside of Zen, like our Zen people are amazing. Um, so, if someone else is watching this a little bit later, and I will connect you and Dr. after this, uh, if somebody else is watching this uh, later and they have similar question, but how would you just in general, how would you uh, suggest people structure this? Have the one-on-one -on -one conversation with each team member uh, if they know that things like that are coming up, vacations, because if I'm a business owner too, I know that we had this April, May, June, probably yellow, I mean, April red, May, June, July, probably yellow, but then we go in a green and who knows what happens in December. Maybe we're going to go completely double green because right. we just don't know. How would you t have a conversation? Like, because I heard that some of the offices and I talked to some doctors, they're, they're already talking to their team members about going no vacations in December if possible, but then also blocking five days for Christmas ahead of time, knowing that that's when they're going to all shut down uh, and, and have that ahead of time. Again, I'm just quoting what I heard. These are not my strategies or anything like that. I just wanted to see your perspective and in, in, in your thinking on this. Well, I, I would say during the yellow phase, there, there's two pieces. One, I want to be staffed appropriately for the level of business or mm -hmm. revenue that I have. Number two, there's a yellow phase that goes, as we've already talked, until July 31st. And I personally would want to do anything and everything I could to maximize the unemployment opportunity that employees had. So even if I do just some cross the board reduced hours or I do some work share that really supports that. Um, 
I would think if I'm doing that with employees that they would certainly appreciate that and the opportunity that is created. When we clear July 31st, again, then it becomes a little cleaner about just making sure I've got staffing levels that correspond to my business levels and my revenue levels. And I'm not sure that personally, I would take a strategy that says, oh, we're already just going to be so busy and so crazy. No one can take vacations and we're not going to take holidays or anything like that. I I personally wouldn't do that. I, I would just look at, okay, how can we maximize the benefit and the opportunity and still maintain some reasonable quality of life and work family balance. Yeah, that's important. Um, I have one more question. I promise that's my last one. I'm super curious that uh, Japanese or Chinese uh, uh, sign right behind you. What does it say? Oh, it's a whole little saying. It's just affirmations. Okay. Can you give us one or two? Yeah. I'm super curious. Uh, live with intention. Okay. Walk to the edge. Walk to the edge. Yes. Listen wow. hard. Practice wellness. Play with abandon. Laugh. Choose with no regret. Continue to learn. Appreciate your friends. Do what you love. And love as if. That is all there is. Wow, that's amazing. That's so cool. Wow, Tim, I uh, I can't even explain how grateful I am to have you. Um, when we have you on, there's always a great discussion. Um, there are some webinars that don't open the chat with you. I can't even close it. So it's amazing. I really appreciate the feedback and everything. If you don't mind, we're going to have your email listed only internally for Zen people. That's in the in the webinar description so for anybody who would need that and will take advantage of 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 that make sure to put in a subject line zen webinar and then put your question and things like so tim will know that it came from zen webinar so um i hope we're we're at the top of the curve whatever we call it i don't know where we at right now but it seems like things are turning a little bit around to the positive again those that are affected in states like new york and california and other states like louisiana Obviously, in Florida, we we feel pretty bad in Chicago, my hometown. But um, I really hope that people are started to see a little bit of positivity. Things are turning, uh, and then I hope we get through this pretty. I don't I don't want to say quickly, but more like in depth and understanding how to run the business and and making the smart decisions versus quick decisions and without the the foresight of the future might look like. Right, I couldn't so, agree. More. Appreciate it, Tim. Thank you so much. Uh, and then maybe over the summer, uh, you know, if we don't get too many news, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen is, but would love to have you back again. Okay. Thank you for the opportunity. It's always fun. Sounds good. Thank you so much, Tim. Okay. And thank you all who participated. Thank Bye. you. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye.